wait is over. Is over. Ladies and gentlemen, from the studios in the wrestling capital of the South, it's another terrific episode of The Binge Buster Show. Please welcome your host, Tony Binge. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Binge Buster Show. I am back again this week with another exciting edition uh, of uh, this great podcast that I enjoy doing each and every week, and uh, I say each and every week, I know, before you guys bust my balls, I know, we're not here every week, sometimes I, I go on a hiatus, take a vacation, and of course, I'll be announcing another vacation coming up here pretty soon, but uh, before we get started on the show, I gotta do one of the most important things, and that's bring on my co-host, I'm talking about Chris Plano, Chris, what is going on, my man? Tony, how are you? I can't believe the weeks keep rolling by, and you know, here we are again recording, and thank you for having me on every week. I'm just tickled pink when you ask me every time. Just say, hey, you want to come on with the show? And I'm absolutely uh, talking some rock and roll, talking some wrestling, and, and some current events, things that are happening around us in the world that we uh, live in today. Man, I tell you what, and uh, speaking about the world we live in today, Chris, today was the announcement from our governor Schools are opening up, maybe not fully opening up, but school kids are getting to go back to school. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about that yet, but being how I've got a little one uh, starting school this year, and I mean it definitely wasn't my thought or my dream that my uh, my son William will be starting kindergarten, but only at a 50% capacity. Now, what that means here in North Carolina is schools are opening up. Uh, from what I've understood, uh, the way they're going to do it, uh, they're going to go K through eighth grade um, is going to have the option of 50-50, which means um, on Mondays and Tuesdays, kids with the net last name starting between A and M will be attending school on Mondays and Tuesdays. Wednesday will be a cleaning day. Uh, all the custodians will come in and, and do a deep cleaning and deep sanitizing of the school. And then on Thursday and Friday, children with the last name starting with N through Z will be attending school. And the days that they're not in school, they will be doing a virtual Zoom type type gimmick. And uh, man, I, I, Chris, I don't know what are your thoughts about that. How do you feel about that? You you, you think right. this is a good decision, or you think uh, we should just keep the schools closed for just a couple more months? What do you think? Boy, it, well, it, this is how it kind of went today. I think the governor was, you know, he came on today. We're about a month away from school starting here in North Carolina. You know, he had three options in front of him, and I, I think no matter what option he chose, he was going to get some opposition no matter what and, and some backlash. He chose the middle of the road with the um, moderate social distancing plan of, of you know, 50% virtual, 50% in the classroom uh, for the students you know, going to public schools in North Carolina. Um, you know, he is keeping us under the phase two order for another three weeks, which was ex- set to expire this Friday at 5 o'clock. He's now extended that to Friday, August 7th. So we're still kind of in a holding pattern here. Um, you know, I-, I don't know if I want to be a teacher right now. It's going to be very difficult, I think, for teachers because they're pivoting and they're changing and, and, and for these students to adapt, 50-50, I think, can be beneficial to some kids that can fit in that mold, but I don't know if it's a one-size-fit-all either. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, I know from, you know, just dealing with my son on a daily basis, five years old, man, he is like Energizer Bunny, getting him to sit still. The only way to get him to sit still was put on the television and uh, give him the remote and, and uh, man – you uh, you talk about somebody that knows how to work YouTube, man. My son is like, he, <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, Chris, you get in the remote and say, hey, find this on YouTube, and he'll find it, man. That fire stick, man, he's he's like the king when it comes to that kind of thing. So, but that's really the only way to keep him settled. Um, but but having him sit in front of the computer, you know, and try to especially kindergarten through third grade, their their attention span is so small anyway. So I'm I'm not sure how it's going to work, but uh, I'm like you, I agree with you 100. percent it didn't matter what um, what the governor chose. Somebody was going to be upset 
just like everyday life, you know. Some people like the binge buster show, some people don't, but hey, Chris and I love it and so man, that's all that matters, right? now. but but seriously, um, you know, it's gonna be a it's definitely gonna be a different year, uh, a different time frame with the kids in school, but I guess the positive thing through this whole thing is at least they're getting to go back to school. Uh kids here in North Carolina, what, Chris, haven't been to school since the end of February. So, um, our uh, first of March. So, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I think they, yeah, it was kind of weird. I, I want to almost say like March 13th, yeah, somewhere around I think there. You're right. Yeah. And it was like mid March. It was right before St. Patrick's day. Um, yeah. it seemed everything kind of came to a head here into that weekend. Yeah. And, and uh, that was it. They pulled the, they pulled the plug, uh, sending the kids home. They finished out virtual the remainder of the academic school year. We've kind of monitored this thing over the summer and kind of like, here we are. I mean, it's, uh, you know, school starting back up. But I'm going to tell you now, it's not going to be fun. they got to wear masks all the time. And, boy, yeah. I don't know if I'd want to be a teacher or a teacher assistant right now or, no. you know, I mean, you know, it, it, they're going to be just telling these kids, oh, they keep your masks on, keep your masks on. And that, that's going to be a chore in itself. And, um, but the state of North Carolina is so big geographically we do have some hot spots. Charlotte is a hot spot right now. Yeah. Uh, so's Raleigh in the Durham area. So, you know, the dense areas are hot spots, but then there are other counties in the state where the coronavirus is is is, is you know very small or minuscule number wise compared to some other counties and cities. Yeah, it, it definitely. So I agree with you hundred percent. I mean, it's um, it's it's something it's something to think about. Um, I guess we just got to keep doing what we've been doing, washing hands, wearing the mask, and just uh, you know, just try to do the best you can. And hopefully, hopefully by December, when it gets colder weather, uh, hopefully this stuff won't spike back and we'll be done with it, and we can get some sense of um of normalcy back in our lives. And um, you know, hey. This coronavirus isn't stopping me, Chris. I'm I'm still living my life just like I always have. I, I probably probably better than I than I have in the past because now, like, I'm <laughs> taking all these vacations and and like I was telling the people at the top of the uh, program, uh, you know me, Chris. I like to take vacations. I like to go places, see things I haven't mm-hmm. seen ever before. I've made a couple trips right. out to out to L.A. Um, I, you know. Just last week, I just got back from Charleston. Week before that, I was in Charleston. I'm just, uh, man, I'm just keeping the roads hot and just trying to, um, you know, give give my son the best life possible that he can have and and and, and create memories. And uh, but man, Chris, I I, I I'm starting. To, I'm I'm in a process of booking a a trip, um, a, a couple's trip, I guess you would say, because a friend of mine and his wife invited uh, me and my wife. Um, and, uh, at the beginning of next month, August, we're going out West, baby. We're going to take Kid Rock's advice. We're going out West and, uh, man, we're going to Vegas. So I'm excited. I'm going to go out there and, uh, party like a rock star. And, and I know we talk about Motley Crue on this, uh, on this podcast a lot because everybody knows that's my favorite band. But one thing I'm going to do my best to do if it's open is I'm going to go out there to Circus Circus in, uh, in, uh, Vegas and go to Vince Neal's restaurant and try to get some great pictures of some of his uh, memorabilia that he has there in a the restaurant uh i don't have to eat there i just want to go in and, and check out his gimmicks on the wall and take a few pictures and uh i'm excited about that and of course i gotta you know, you know when you go to vegas everybody says you gotta hit the slots you gotta hit the but me i'm, <laughs> I'm gonna hit the pawn shop i'm gonna go out there and try to I've got some stuff here, man, that I've been collecting for years, and I'm, I'm going to try to go out there and see if I can get something for it. Who knows? It might, they might tell me it ain't worth nothing, or I might come back a millionaire. Who knows? But I'm excited, man. I'm ready to do it. It's going to be fun, um, and that's coming up at the um, the beginning of August. And uh, oh, Chris, I wish I could say I'm booked to wrestle next week, but unfortunately that, that isn't happening either. But uh, but it's not going to stop us from talking about it. We we got um, you know this week's uh, show. We're going to be talking about uh, one of my favorite shows ever, the Great American Bash, nineteen eighty six, uh, July twenty sixth. Matter of fact, from the Greensboro Coliseum. This was the show where the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, becomes finally three time NWA World Heavyweight Champion. And of course, our good friend Jimmy Vack gets his head shaved on this show by Paul Jones. But we're going to talk about that and a whole lot more, fans, on the Binge Buster Show coming up 
right after this timeout. Want to get your event or business advertised around the world? Then let the Binge Buster Show advertise for you. We offer a weekly show that is broadcast over all major podcast platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, YouTube, and much more. We offer five levels of advertising to fit any budget. So don't hesitate. Let the Binge Buster Show work for you. For information, contact us on our Facebook page at The Binge Buster Show. We look forward to helping you and your business grow. All right, fans, welcome back to the Binge Buster Show. Uh, this week, uh, Chris, we're going to be uh, talking uh, Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, NWA, the Great American Bash 1986. Uh, this week's classic flashback. Great American Bash 1986, Greensboro Coliseum, uh with attendance of over 15,000 people, uh, 12 matches, I believe, on this show. And, Chris, from top to bottom, main event matches all over, uh, featuring the likes of Sam Houston, Black Bart, The Barbarian, Jimmy Valiant, Jimmy Garvin, Wahoo McDaniels. I mean, we can go on and on. Uh, but, Chris, what an awesome show this was. This was an awesome show. I, I mean, all the great American matches are awesome shows to – to begin with, but 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 so many storylines in this show um, that that Jim Crockett Promotions was promoting at this time. You know, literally, Ric Flair during this Bash tour was pretty much defending the title on all comers that were coming at him, whether it was Dusty Rhodes, Nikita Koloff, you know, Ricky Morton, Robert Gibson, Magnum T.A., um, you, you know, um, the, the Road Warrior Hawk and Animal. The list goes on and on to level of opponents that Flair defended the title against. You, you had the best of seven series with Magnum T.A. and Nikita Koloff, Jimmy Valiant, Paul Jones. Um, so many storylines. I mean, with, with this, it was just unbelievable from top to bottom. And Jim Crockett Promotions pushed all of those storylines off of television and, and rolled it right through the summer of 86 with the Great American Bash. I mean, my opinion, uh, you know, I have – witnessed a lot of um uh crockett you know you know jim crockett promotions is like one of our here living here in the carolinas that that was the go-to um show to watch and but my opinion 84 it was starting to take off 85 it was getting hot but i 86 i i have to admit my opinion i believe jim crockett promotions was red hot this was this was when they had really you know, finally got you know their spot on on WTBS and uh, from Vince McMahon and just putting it out there and, and it was like all these big shows. But the Great American Bash '86 was more. It wasn't just a, a wrestling show, Chris. It was a it was a concert. I mean, they had yeah they had David Allen Coe, uh, you know, doing uh, doing a con- the country concert and night in 1986. Uh, he was pretty hot, uh, you know, out there. And uh, then, then not only that, but you had uh, they they were really pushing the Rock and Roll Express. Uh, Ricky Morton done his Super Summer Sizzler tour, uh, singing his song, the great, you know, the Boogie Woogie Dance Hall and Feel Like a Nut. And uh, if you were a member of the Rock and Roll Express fan club, you got a, a little forty five with both of them songs on there, and that was that was really cool. But uh, but man, the matches. The feuds were red hot. I mean, you had uh, Raging Bull Manny Fernandez. Uh, he was in a little feud with the with with uh, well, he was with Jimmy Valiant, and they were in a feud with Paul Jones and his army. Uh, Wahoo McDaniel was feuding with Gorgeous Jimmy Garvin because Jimmy Garvin was on TV talking about how he's gonna, you know, take Wahoo's uh, uh, headdress and 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 that Wahoo made Indian blankets and he wasn't a wrestler. And then then you had. Uh, Man, the Rock Express was was in a tremendous feud that summer. They were uh, feuding with mm-hmm. with the Andersons over who was the number one contender to the tag team titles. But you also had Ricky Morton in a little feud with Ric Flair, as Ric Flair like left half of Ricky Morton's face in the Greensboro Coliseum. So all this kind of came to a, to a head. Uh, the Great American Bash in '86 it ran from July first all the way through the end of July. Um, but the uh, the um, main attraction, the main draw of this Great American Bash was 
Ric Flair, the NWA World Heavyweight Champion, they just presented him with that beautiful uh, big gold belt. And uh, because of that, they said he would be defending the world title each and every night at the bash against a top contender. It started off with Rower Hawk, ended with the American Dream Dusty Rhodes. And, of course, uh, the week before the bashes were over here in Greensboro, July 26, Greensboro Coliseum, in front of 15,000 people, the American Dream was was realized. Dusty Rhodes becomes three-time NWA World Heavyweight Champion. We'll get to that match later on, but... Chris, starting us off on this Great American Bash opening match, and as some of you guys out there might not know, Curtain Jerk. The Curtain Jerk was a main event caliber match. Mr. Electricity, Steve Regal, uh, he just arrived in NWA from AWA, um, takes on Sam Houston. What about this match, Chris? It definitely is a Curtain Jerker. Lord Steven Regal, later on in his uh, career, I mean, I, I... I think for this, I mean, coming right off of the David Allen Coe concert, you know, I'm sure everyone was jazzed up, and and you know, I think at this point, you know, the, uh, you know, I think and Sam Houston in his own right, you, you know, was a pretty darn good wrestler back in the day. Oh yeah, um, Mid Atlantic you know, Heavyweight Champion. I mean, you yeah. know, I mean, he was, uh, and 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 for for a second, let's talk about Sam Houston and and all the 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 wrestling blood through him. Um, his dad was a wrestler. His half-brother was a wrestler. His sister was a wrestler. A lot of people don't know this, but Jake the Snake Roberts was uh, Sam Houston's brother. So, um, you know, a lot of great wrestling talent in his family. Um, Sam Houston was was awesome. And I, I got to meet Sam just, uh, you know, last year at WrestleCade, and uh, uh, he and I were discussing Austin Hall cowboy boots, and, man, he was telling me how, how cool them boots were. And, um, but – what a, what a really nice guy very positive attitude uh when i when i met him and but but it, but sam had the he had the great he had the perfect gimmick back then he was you know not as heavy as most wrestlers so he was always that underdog that all the fans were just always cheering for right for him to win you know absolutely and you know taking on a, a, a you know a crafty veteran in the ring great matt wrestler and, and steven regal so a good match to get the fans back in the seats Okay, we're kicking off the Great American Bash, and it was really a long show. And all the bashes were, were long. Don't don't get me wrong; everyone had to have their moment in the spotlight. Hey, but good opening match, you know. You know, Stephen Regal obviously, you know, pins Sam Houston in this particular um, match. But you know, like I said, Earl Hebner. As I read this, Earl Hebner had something to do uh, with the um, with the with the pin in this match. Something behind his back. So you know, a great you know, you know, heel kind of, you know, take, you know, getting everyone fired up to what's come to come later on that evening. Yeah, for sure. And then that takes us to the next match was a, uh, tag team match. Um, black Bart, another good friend of mine who, who has been on this podcast a couple of times, and I'm gonna try to get him back on again here real soon, but black Bart and the barbarian, uh, teaming up to take on NWA world junior heavyweight champion, Denny Brown, and the Italian Stallion. I mean, the tag team match, I mean, I think, again, I think they're still warming the show up here at this point. And, you know, I think this is a chance for, you know, Jim Crockett Promotions to to really display all the talent. And listen, his roster at this time in 86 was huge. I mean, we all know he was running at some point two shows a day with, with, with split talent. So to try to get as many you know, wrestlers on this card. I'm sure anyone that was on this card was more than <laughs> more than ecstatic to be a part of it. Um, and, and there were probably other guys just hanging out in the back that weren't even on this card. Um, oh yeah, particularly as well. So, I, I know. I mean, um, I know back in those days, if I worked for Jim Crockett, I'd be at every show. Hey, I put the ring up. I don't care because mm-hmm. I, every bash was sold out. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know. Um, I mean, Black Bart, well known. Um, you know, Denny Brown was the junior heavyweight champion at that time for the NWA, but obviously the title not on the line that particular evening. An Italian stallion, you know, he was almost like a weekly staple on WTBS. I, I mean, you know, you kind of saw him almost every week, you know, wrestling in some kind of match at 6.05. So, again, a tag team match, you know, to get things going. But, I, you know, really after this match, 
things really start heating up on the card from a from a talent perspective. Yeah, because uh, uh, the next match after this it takes us to one of your old good friends, Chris, the Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, as he takes on Baron Von Raschke in a uh, glove on a pole match. Uh, of course, the way you win this match, fans, you beat your opponent down, you climb the you climb the top rope, and there's another pole attached to the ring. You climb up the pole, you get the black glove, you come down, you pop the guy, knock him out, one, two, three, you 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 win the match. Um, so we know this match was bloody, uh, no doubt in my mm-hmm. mind. A great match. Uh, but now this next match was, was actually one of my favorites on this card. Um, Chief Wahoo McDaniel uh, taking on gorgeous Jimmy Garvin uh, in an Indian strap match. Uh, fans from, from from on this show from about April, uh, Jimmy Garvin comes into uh, NWA Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling, which later became NWA Pro Wrestling. Um, but comes on TV every week talking, you know, talking mad smack again about the great Chief Wahoo McDaniel, and uh, you know, talking about how he's going to beat him and own him and all this kind of thing. And so at the bashes, Wahoo finally gets his revenge. Uh, he gets Jimmy Garvin in his kind of match, and of course we know Wahoo is going to come out victorious in these. Now, Chris, when when you're running New Dimension Wrestling, you ever get a chance to book uh, either one of the of these two gentlemen? Uh, uh, Wahoo, yes. Jimmy Garvin, no. Uh, believe it or not, never never booked Jimmy Garvin. Wahoo, always great to, to you know to work with. Uh, you know, one of the most reliable guys. You know, you book him, he's going to be there. Uh, uh, respected in the locker room from top to bottom. I mean, no matter, <laughs> I think, who oh, was yeah. coming through the door, you, you know, when Wahoo was in the room. And, you know, when we talk about Jimmy Valiant as well, they just had this, they just had this, I don't want to use the word demeanor about them or not, they just had this presence in the locker room that, you know, you're sitting with someone that has so, you're sitting in the same room with someone that has so much knowledge in the business that you almost want to just be a sponge and try to absorb as much as you can with when when you're around these kind of guys. Yeah, I mean that that's how I always was when I was on a, a wrestling event. I'd always try to when I got in the locker room, I'd kind of look around and see where those guys had their chairs set up, and I'd always try to get mine as close as possible, um, just so that I could you know talk to them and try to pick their brain and and uh, you know come up with something. Uh, learn something while I was there. Even if I wasn't working the match with him, I was in the dressing room. I at least try to introduce myself and ask him a question like, you know, what, how is this and why is that? And, and, uh, man, you'd be surprised, Chris, how much I learned over the years from different guys by just doing that. But, and a lot of times I wouldn't even talk. I would just sit there and listen to them talk. And, um, right. But, but you know, the guys nowadays, uh, I don't think they do that. I think they already know everything. So they don't need to listen to, to the, you know what I mean? But, um, but but man, growing up in my day, uh, in the early '90s, getting into pro wrestling, that's that's what I'd done, man. I would always sit, and um, but you know, I kind of thought that, but then you know, and I never knew that the guys noticed it until um, I was on a show with Jake Roberts, and uh, uh, all you know, all the guys in the back kept coming up to Jake and uh, asking for a picture, and Jake looked at me and he said, uh, "Bro, look around the dressing room," and I'm looking around. He goes, he goes. Uh, he goes, what do you see? And I said, uh, I don't know. What do you mean? He goes, I see a. He goes, I see two workers, and a whole bunch of marks. And I said, Oh, who's the two workers? He said, You and me, because you and I are talking. <laughs> he said, You and I are talking normal. These other guys coming up and give me this easy handshake and asking for pictures. He said, They're a bunch of marks. They ain't never gonna make it in this business. And and uh, at first I was like, Geez, you know that's kind of strong. But then. When I realized right. what he was talking about, because I'm sitting there, I'm 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 gonna be working with Jake, you know. Uh, later on the show, Jake's gonna be putting the snake on me, you know. And I was just trying to, you know, talk to him. And I introduced, and all I did, I walked up to him, I stuck my hand out, I said, "Hi, Jake, I'm Tony." He goes, "Oh, yeah." Well, I, mean, I tried doing his voice. Yeah, you're the kid. I'm gonna be putting the snake on tonight, right? And I said, "Yeah." He goes, "All right, I see you out there." And I said, okay. I said, uh, I said, Jake. I said, it's got one question, brother. I said, when you um, when you put the snake on me, how do you want me to sell it? He goes, don't worry, kid. You'll sell it. <laughs> and I just love that. He was just so cool and down to earth about it. Um, and it was it, it was so easy and so fun. But uh, but then after the show, he pulled me to the side and he said uh, he said, brother. He said um, he said 
please, he goes, tell me who trained you. And I told him, I said, well, you know, Jimmy Valiant. And he goes, I knew it. He said, I knew you wasn't trained by Mark. He said, because you were a total professional. And guys, I'm not blowing my own horn. I'm just, I'm just saying what, you know, what, right. how, how, what I've learned, you know, in the wrestling business. And George South is, it's a prime example. He tells us this all the time. If you just shut your mouth and listen, you will learn a whole lot more than running your mouth and thinking you know everything. Hey, I, guys, I've been in this wrestling business now almost 30 years, and I, I'm still like that. You know, I, when, when I work a show with these guys like Jake or George, you know, I don't go up to them and say, hey, guys, I, I want to do this, I want to do this. I walk up to them and say, hey, what do you want to do tonight? And right. and the most common thing I hear is, I'll see you in the ring, kid. Because they know they don't have to tell me anything because they know when I get out there, I'm going to listen. I'm, I'm not going to talk. Right. So uh, that's that's just terrific. Tony's little advice to some of you new upcoming wrestlers that are out there uh, just learning or you've been in the business for a long time. Just be quiet and listen. That's all you got to do. Uh, now, I'm not going to be quiet. I'm going to keep talking, and we're going to get on with this Great American Bash. Next match is a is a barn burner. Um Huge feud during the Great American Bash. Tully Blanchard with J.J. Dillon in a tape fist match with Ron Garvin. Um, four rounds of tape fist boxing. Uh, bloody match as well. Um, what do you think, Chris? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, definitely, yeah, definitely not. Yeah, it, it was a bloody match for, for sure, but... You know, and, and it works for both wrestlers. Uh, Blanchard was usually a, a tape fist guy in the ring most of the time that he was wrestling, and, and so was Garvin. They were heavily taped wrestlers in the ring. And just another angle for this match, two great wrestlers in the ring. You know, you know, Blanchard with the four horsemen, Garvin just feuding with whoever was coming at him. Um, you know, it, it worked. And, you know, the level, it seemed like almost in this in this card there was blood in almost every match yeah. after the first couple of matches. Um, you, you, you know, obviously with, with Manny Fernandez in the, in the match and then, you know, following with the Wahoo match and now we're into the, into the Tate Fist match. But, um, you know, it was an interesting match. And, uh, again, you know, trying to do a little boxing angle as well. And just, uh, you know, I don't know. I would be completely into the match like that, but – there might have been some people out there that were into it and wanted something just different on the uh, on the program. Oh, and and they were Chris. And, and incidentally, fans, I was at this uh, this this Great American Bash. Um, I was a little young, little young Mark sitting out there in the crowd with my dad. But um, but yeah, I was at this show. And and this next match was the sh- was the match that blew the roof off the Greensboro Coliseum as Ole and Arn Anderson took on. The hottest tag team of the 80s. I'm talking about Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson, the Rock and Roll Express. This match was a number one contenders match for the NWA World Tag Team titles. This match goes 20-minute time limit draw. Uh, and and I love the way they ended this because um, it was a draw. So as we, le- as we leave the Great American Bash tonight, we still don't know who the number one contenders are. Who's, who's the number one team? Uh, Rick and Robert, former tag team champions, so that makes them number one contenders. But at the also at this time, Ole and Arn are the national tag team champions, which also makes them number one contenders. So um, very, very great. But also this match not only to determine the number one contenders, but during this time, the Ricky and Robert are in a hot feud with the Four Horsemen, and here we are with two of the Four Horsemen, Ole and Arn Anderson, the new Minnesota Wrecking Crew, Chris. You, you know, looking back, man, Arn Anderson and Ole were two tough hombres. They were some wildly veterans in the ring. I mean, Ricky Morton, there, there didn't need to be any titles on the line for the, for this match. Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson were so over. All they had to do was just move a half an inch in the ring, and the whole place would go crazy. I mean, it was just uh, that's just the way it was. You know, Ricky Morton was definitely the grinder for the Rock and Roll Express in the ring. You know, always took the brunt and the beaten. It always seemed every time in a tag team match, you know, the Andersons, you know, you just never know. Rule breaking for many, many years as a tag team, you know, just in wrestling, not just in Jim Crockett promotions, but just throughout, you know, you know, the U.S. and beyond. And, you know, a great match. I, 
this match, I mean, is a lot of what a lot of fans want to see, especially the females as well with Ricky and Robert in the ring. And, again, you just know that the Rock and Roll Express are going to have to do everything in their power to beat the Andersons, two of the four horsemen. And, you know, they just knew how to draw off of the emotions in the crowd. And, 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 and four great wrestlers in the ring, you know, and especially Ole at this time as, as well with these, you know, with Ricky and Robert really young at that time, you know, it, it just worked. Yeah, it really did. And and like I said, it, it, it made a good match. And, and, and the fans, I remember that night, man, they wanted more. They wanted more. And, uh, you know, and five more minutes. Five more minutes is all they wanted, man. But uh, Rick and Robert ended that match giving each other a, a high five in the ring and the place popped. And it didn't matter, if, like you said, it didn't matter if they won belts or not. When they, when they left that ring, Rick and Robert were still over. And that was and that that was all all that mattered. Now, going to the next match, this is a very short match, but a match that really, really had a had a impact on the Great American Bash. Now, uh, also back in April, Jimmy Valiant, our good friend, the Boogie Woogie Man, uh, was actually in a very hot feud with number one Paul Jones, and Paul Jones now had changed his gimmick a little bit. He's now the general. He's putting together his army, and he's trying to recruit people. He kept trying to recruit the Raging Bull. The Bull's like, nope, nope, I'm not having it. I'm Jimmy Vaggett's partner. I'm staying with him. Um, and so on television, uh, Jimmy Vaggett is cutting a promo with uh, Pistol Pez Watley, another NDW um, alumni there. Um, but uh, Pistol Pez Watley and Jimmy Vaggett are on television talking to David Crockett. Uh, Jimmy Vaggett calls um, – Pistol Pez, the greatest black athlete in the world, uh, upsets Chaska or Pistol Pez, and Pez, he headbutts Jimmy Valiant, beats him up a little bit, cuts off his hair, and now we're off to the races. We're off to the Great American Bash, and Jimmy Valiant has vowed to shave every single member of Paul Jones's army bald before the bash is over. So just a couple of weeks before this big event, uh, Jimmy Valiant, uh, faces Pistol Pez Watley in Charlotte. Of course, he wins. Pistol Pez gets his head shaved, and now here we're back. Now, Jimmy Vay is ready for this match. It's, he's taking on the general, Mr. Number, number One, Paul Jones. Uh, but we have a lot of outside interference. We get the Raging Bull involved. We get uh, Baron Von Rasky involved. And while this is going on, the newly bald-headed geek, Shaska Watley sneaks in with a chair, whacks Jimmy Vaggett in the head, puts Paul Jones on top, one, two, three. And Jimmy Vaggett, being a man of his word, sits there in the ring with Sandy Scott, and Sandy Scott shaves Jimmy Vaggett bald, while Paul Jones, T. Joe Khan, Jimmy Va- um, Paul Jones, T. Joe Khan, Shaska, and Baron Von Rasky are at ringside laughing because now we're thinking this is it, and... um Definitely not how I expected expected this match to end, but again, this match we here when we thought the feud was over, it just kept it carrying on into the winter months of '86. But what do you think? Of, what was your thoughts, Chris, when you saw Jimmy Valiant getting his head shaved? I, I mean, you know, Valiant came into this particular match. I mean, he was fired off off a of, off of television. You know, he wanted Paul Jones in the ring and he got Paul Jones this particular evening in the ring, you know, unfortunately you just, there's just so much outside interference. How much can one guy, you know, fight off, um, you know, Shaska Watley, you know, coming from behind with the steel chair on Valiant, you know, too many distractions, you know, Valiant did what he, what he could, you know, and, you know, he probably could have used a couple of guys in his corner as, as well. But Boogie was a man of his word. And, 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 Tony, this was a rivalry that went way, way beyond 1986. I mean, even onto the independent circuit, you know, when it was Valiant, he was taking on, you know, Pez Watley everywhere in, in the mid-Atlantic and southeast. And, you know, this was – I don't know if, if, this war, if this war ever really truly ended, but at least on this particular night, Jimmy Valiant did get the short end of the stick. Um, but, again, a great – storyline for the fans and and one that had a lot of emotion and 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 really they brought the show from town to town and and uh, it, it worked and sold tickets 
Oh, yeah, definitely. And and uh, a little inside scoop here, uh, guys. When I was running my little wrestling company back in the uh, mid to late 90s, uh, we done a spot. We brought I brought in Jimmy Valiant, and uh, during this time I was uh, running a little gimmick, uh, The Assassin, and um, we did this thing where uh, we had a, I had a fan come out and present Jimmy Valiant with a uh, with a present, and uh, so Jimmy Valiant opens up the present and he reaches in the bag and he gets he, he's he's excited, but then he gets mad. He's like, "What is this? Where'd you get this from?" And the fan was like, "Oh, the guy in the back with the mask told me to give it to you." And so Jimmy Valiant's reaching in this bag. Because now I'm like the new assassin, right? He reaches in the bag, and when he pulls out the bag, he has like this blonde hair, and he goes, "This is this this is this this was the beard that your daddy, the original assassin, cut off with Paul Jones, and we used that to fuel our little feud that we had, and and it was so crazy how many people remember that, but but Jimmy Vayat come to me and he goes. Brother, I can't. I can't believe you remember this. I'm like, who wouldn't remember this? That that was a hot angle. You because like for years you had the Paul Jones and his assassins cut Boogie's beard. They cut his hair, but in the end, you know, Boogie puts up everything he owns. His, his then wife, Big Mama, puts up her hair, and he says, if 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 Paul Jones can't beat him, then they're gonna shave the head of Big Mama. And of course, finally, Jimmy Vac gets he gets his justice. And uh, the feud finally ends in the end of 86. But like you said, it ended on television, but it's, it still carried on through the independent circuit. Um, and Jimmy Valiant told me that the feud with Paul Jones lasted, I think, five years with, with Jim Crockett Promotions. And it was the longest running feud in the history of Jim Crockett Promotions. So I think that says a lot about about those, those two guys, Paul Jones and Jimmy Valiant. Um, they uh, may, may have not have been the... Um, you know, world champions or tele, you know, things like that. But, but man, they could put butts in the seats. People love to see Paul Jones and Jimmy Vac, you know, feud each other, fight each other. Uh, just a great time, and I enjoyed it. But now this next match, I really enjoyed. Um, this was the big one right here: Magnum TA against Nikita Koloff in the best of seven series. Now, Chris, the the behind the scenes on this match was. Going into this match, the ring announcer announces, here in the Greensboro Coliseum tonight, you very well may see Nikita Koloff become the United States Heavyweight Champion because he leads the series 3-0. to zero. So on this night, Nikita had already beat Magnum in a clean sweep, 1-2-3, right? So all he had to do was, right. was win one match, and he becomes the United States Champion. But here in Greensboro Coliseum, where the people absolutely loved Magnum TA, um, Magnum was like our rock. You know, the rock comes out, the building came off. Same thing with Magnum. And I'll tell you what, Chris, this is this is a little, I'm getting off subject a little bit, but I think you agree with me. In 1986, to be at a bar with Ricky and Robert Magnum TA, and you just be be there with them, just hanging out with them. You're going home a happy man. <laughs> you know what Absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. Oh, my God. Oh, just to be a fly on the wall. <laughs> be a Brother. sight to see. But uh, they were they were just over. Man. They had the look. I mean, all of them. They had the Magnum TA included, and yeah. it, 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 it clicked with the ladies. Yeah, those, those, those guys, man, they, they, they sold. You know, the thing about Magnum and rock and roll, they identify with both female and male you know every, the, the the guys wanted to be like magnum and the girls wanted right. to be with magnum and uh <laughs> man i'm telling you it's just how it was chris and uh you but but this match was was a really enjoyable match um and magnum actually snuck in there and got the pin on nikita and uh lived the fight another day uh great match uh what 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 do you what do you you remember about the feud between Magnum and Nikita Koloff? You know, you, you know, it was promoted as a best of seven series, and it was promoted that way leading up to the bash. You know, Nikita comes out as this unstoppable force, and it's quickly up three zero, and it's like, okay, <laughs> can Magnum even try to even you know attempt to come back? You know, so it, it brought that kind of drama. I, I read some back detail on this where, where uh, uh, Jim Crockett Promotions actually altered 
the best of seven series run through the bash because Magnum got hurt early on, and I guess they wanted the matches to you know to him to be in the best health as possible. So they actually rearranged on what shows that was going to actually happen, and actually put Magnum in several tag teams and six man tag team matches to rest up a little bit so he could take on Nikita. You know, you know the, the, the second half of of the series. And actually, if I'm right, I don't even think they completed the best of seven in the bash. They actually felt the storyline could have bled back over to, you know, the weekly programs. And, and it did, you know, going into uh, early uh, August, which, which was really a good move from a television standpoint, you know, to see that last match or so. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and, they, and they finally awarded um, Nikita the belt. And then, of course, tragedy struck uh, Jim Crockett Promotions uh, there in, at the end of September uh, when Magnum was involved in that horrendous car crash, which ended his wrestling career. But, uh, you know, I, I've talked to Magnum several times. He, he doesn't want to talk about what if, what if, because, you know, it doesn't matter at this point. But if you did want to say what if, uh, if the accident didn't happen and Magnum continued wrestling, I, I'm, I'm, I would bet this on everything I own. Um, Magnum would have been way more popular uh, than Hulk Hogan, The Rock, Stone Cold. I mean, people don't understand how over Magnum TA was. I mean, Magnum was he was like a movie star. I mean, he the like like I mean like I, I joked about it earlier, but the men wanted to be him and the women wanted to be with him. Uh, Magnum was right. over and Magnum was a super nice guy. And I've got to work a few shows with Magnum and, um, you know, I, I've got nothing but good to say about him. What, what, a, what a great, what a great man he is. Yeah. You would always say, you know, the, what if, where would have his career been? I mean, I think the future of Ric Flair's opponents would have looked a whole lot different if for not that car accident. Oh yeah, uh, for you sure. Know, you know, the U S title pitcher would have looked a whole lot different um in the nwa and who knows what would have i mean and i'm sure vince mcmahon would have been hot for him as well going oh, into yeah, the late 80s sure. and into the early 90s when a lot of crossover was going on so you just never ever know what the ultimate impact uh, uh could have been but i think for us that was following wrestling back then we saw a glimpse of what the potential could have been in the landscape for you know the NWA and Jim Crockett promotion. Yeah, for sure. And uh, and and what a lot of people don't know, and uh, if you don't know, you I'm, I'm fixing to tell you. Um, Starcade '86 saw Ric Flair defend the world title against Nikita Koloff, and Ric Flair walked away with the world championship. Had that car accident not happened, Ric Flair was going to go to Starcade '86, but his opponent was going to be Magnum TA. And Ric Flair was not going to leave with the world title, and that's the truth. Yep. That that yeah. that was the original plan, um, and that night, if that had taken place, and Magnum walked out of the Atlanta, Georgia, with the world championship built, the whole wrestling scene would be a whole different outlook. Absolutely. I mean, there's just, there's just, you know, we could talk, we could almost do a whole show probably uh, on this, on this one topic, but, you know, and uh, I mean, he was groomed I mean, he had the look, I mean, you know, even whether it was in, you know, singles, tag, fighting the horsemen, whatever it was, I mean, and, and that's why JCP promotions kept Magnum on the card in tags and six man tags, even through the rib injuries, through the bash, just because the people wanted to see him in some way, shape, or form, you know, in, in the lineup. Yeah, for sure. Now, our next match is a uh, is is a really cool match. One of the matches everybody wanted to see at the bash as well. Uh, almost every bash, Baby Doll uh, was in a feud with Jim Cornette, as we know. Again, back in April, uh, the Midnight Express jumped Dusty, and then they injured Baby Doll, so she comes back to get her revenge on Jim Cornette. So every night of the bash, she comes in with a couple partners. Uh, to feud with uh, Cornette and the Midnight Express. And here this particular night, Baby Doll chose the Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors, uh, to take on Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express of Bobby Eaton and Dennis Condry. 
11 minutes this match went, and Baby Doll gets the pin on Jim Cornette. Um, just a just a great little match there. But then that, but then from there we go to another cage, the final match of the bash. Uh, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, as um, I can still hear it in my head, as he was coming down the aisle there in the Greensboro Coliseum with the song, uh, You Can't Judge a Book by Looking at the Cover by Hank Williams Jr. And uh, Dusty becomes three-time NWA World Heavyweight Champion right there in Greensboro Coliseum. This match goes about 22 minutes, and it's very back and forth. You never knew. I like the way they they done this match because you weren't sure who was going to win. But when Dusty Rhodes got that three count on Ric Flair out of just a basic small package, uh, Chris, the roof, I re- seriously thought the the whole entire walls, roof, everything was going to come down and cave in. Um, but what was really cool was that when Dusty won, uh, a lot of the guys, Rock and Roll Express, Denny Brown, the Italian Stallion, Sam Houston, all those guys hit the ring, but also – uh, was um, David Allen Coe, who just put on the concert earlier that evening. He comes out to c- to congratulate Dusty. So it made it like a really big deal. And Ric Flair, being the man he was, he didn't even do anything. He just he took the loss. He walked out of the cage and gave Dusty his moment. And then two weeks later, Ric Flair is the world champion again, and we're back to back things back to normal, as as they say. But uh, all in all, man, what a great great American Bash card this was. Um, Chris, what uh, would have been your favorite match on this card? Well, I mean, um, oh, my favorite match on the card. Oh, let me see. I would have to say, growing up as a kid, I mean, mm, I, I'm going to probably have to say the main event. Um, you know, just because the world title's on the line. Yeah. Um, overall, for me. Um, I, I, and again, I did some, I did, I did some more reading on this as well that, you know, um, you know, Dusty was, or Jim Crockett promotions, they were moving Flair's opponents around a little bit during the bash, especially early on of who was going to take them on, you know, when and, and how, and, and then what a backdrop, a sellout crowd in the Greensboro Coliseum, um, you know, 15,000 people. Um, it was the second-to-last bash before the one in Atlanta at Fulton County Stadium, which Dusty uh, uh, took on Flair as the champion there in Fulton County, uh, which was the final bash um, to a, a smaller crowd of around 10,000 in Atlanta. So what a backdrop, and I think it was perfect for television as well. Um, you know, to, to see it in Greensboro, just a hotbed for professional wrestling and um you know what? A, what? A, just what? A, what a time! And you're right. Two weeks later, you know, Ric Flair becomes champion again, and he did walk out of that ring at, like the consummate professional that he is. I mean, you know, you know, gave him the stage, and and I'm sure that was a tough walk back to the locker room just from a, the fans taunting him and everything going back. And but that's what you do instead of sitting there. You know, you can whine, cry all you want, and you know, you lick your chops, and you you, you know, you live to fight another day. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but definitely a great card. My favorite probably would be Rock and Roll Express against Anderson's because back then I was such a Rock and Roll Express mark. I had even had the mullet fans. I had the mullet. But uh, but man, what, what <laughs> I did way back then. But uh, but but what a great show uh, this was. And uh, but uh, fans, thank you again for joining us. Right now, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to break down. Uh, the Motley Crue new tattoo album from 2000 coming up right after this. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends. All right, fans, we are back here on the Binge Buster Show. Uh, again, what a great show that we just had talking about the Great American Bash, and now we're going to be uh, talking my favorite my favorite group. I'm talking about Motley Crue. And back in uh, 19, I'm sorry, 2000, they came out with an album called New Tattoo. Uh, first album without uh, Tommy Lee, which was a which was a big shock. Uh, Chris, what what do you remember most about about this great album from Motley Crue? Oh boy, wow! Um, it it was an interesting album. It was their eighth studio album. Um, you know, for for the crew and um, 
you know, when, when you listen to it, it, it's, um, it was an interesting album just because of all the hits that they had prior to leading up to this album. It, it, it really, in my opinion, I don't want to say the crew was trying to reinvent themselves in a way, but I think they were trying to give the fans, um, you know, really show the fans their full musical skills that they had on the stage. There were deeper riffs in this album. You heard more of Mick Mars and, and, and Nikki Six into this album. And, and they were really, I think, showing their talent and maybe even trying to draw, you know, a somewhat newer audience to Motley Crue as well versus the audience of the fans that they were drawn in, in, in the 80s. So it was a unique time for the band, and there was a lot going on with Tommy Lee and, and other, you know, fill-ins and different things. So it was just an interesting time. And, and just for, you know, 80s bands during this era, too, to put out albums. Yeah, definitely, definitely for sure. And, uh, I, and you know, uh, in my research, what I what I realized, what I found about this album was um, New uh, new Tattoo um, was the name of the album. Um, it came out in 2000, but this this was the only think about this for a second when i'm about to say chris this is the only album by motley Crue to not feature tommy lee i mean tommy lee is like you know he, he he's like the mainstay he's, he's like the he's like the one that when when you hear tommy lee the first thing in your mind is motley Crue, motley Crue, and right. to 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 know that here here is an album and it was a good album it has some really you know strong kick kicking songs um but Tommy Lee left Motley Crue a year before this album came out. He was replaced by former Ozzy Osbourne and um, uh, drummer Randy Castillo, uh, which I think Randy also played drums for Lee DeFord at one time, I believe. But um, but but they had some great songs on this album, like they had the uh, the, like the, the main uh, hit single off the album "Hell on High Heels," uh, which charted to number thirteen on the mainstream rock charts. Uh, new tattoo was kind of like a ballad. Uh, Treat me like the dog I am. And during this time, you know, um, the internet was really starting to come out. And uh, they even had written a song about, um, uh, you know, a guy being addicted to online porn. Um, so that's part of it. And of course, that's 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 the grungy part of Motley Crue. Uh, that song was there. But um, here's here's something really interesting that I, I found out about this album. So. The song um, "Hell on High Heels." Uh, supposedly, Nikki Six wrote this song about Bruce Dickinson's wife, uh, who actually cheated on Bruce with Nikki Six, uh, which I think was was revealed in Motley Crue's uh, book "The Dirt." Um, and I think Nikki talks about that a little bit. But um, but you know that, that, that's that's one of the things that that's so cool about the rock and roll music that i think a lot of people don't have they i know they don't do anymore but back then is how like real life stuff happens but they can take that real life event and write it into a hit song absolutely and just showing the, the creativity of the band and what they can do and and um you know i i will say this tony it was somewhat a little bit i don't want to use the word risky per se but it was kind of risky for bands from the 80s to be releasing albums during this time. I mean, yeah. there weren't a whole lot of 80s bands doing that, and they weren't coming up with new material and new songs. And this album also was a semi-statement of, hey, we could put something out, and not saying we're moving past Tommy Lee, but we're going to keep moving forward. The band's going to keep moving. And whether he's with us or not, we're going to put it out there. We're going to see what the reaction is from the fans, you know, and, and, and will they accept this kind of music that we're putting in front of them minus our, our lead drummer and can this support a tour? And, you know, you know, the fans always want to hear the old tunes. They're always going to want to hear the old tunes, but yeah. they're also trying to, you know, break some new ground as well. Yeah, for sure. And, and if you go back and, and, and look at this album, I mean, even the album cover was cool. Um, like 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 when you look at it okay i see the old shout the devil album because if you look at it real close there's like the circle on the original shout the devil album there's a circle with a pentagram and it's 
completely black black background album with red with with uh, with red writing. So this one's kind of the same, but uh, inside the circle instead of a pentagram is this really cool looking dragon with a tattoo gun. Um, and then, of course, the Motley Crue logo looks like a Japanese tattoo, which we which we all know Nikki Six and Tommy Lee have a lot of uh, Japanese art on their body. But when you go back and break down these songs, um, the songs are really cool. Um, of course, like I said, you had Hell on High Heels, which was a which was a, a hit on the radio uh, and a video. And what was cool, Chris, I don't know if you saw this video or not, but the the MTV video back when MTV played videos. Um Hell on High Heels. Uh, it was a cartoon. It was a cartoon. It wasn't even like you, Motley Crue were cartoon characters uh, on this video, and it was and it was really neat. Um, but then you had a song "Treat Me Like the Dog I Am," new tattoo, drag strip superstar, first band on the moon. She needs rock and roll. Now here here's a song that I like. It's got some really cool lyrics to it. Uh, Punched in the teeth by love, and. Um, and and like like some of the lyrics on there, it, it it talks about the girl that you know he he fell in love with the girl, but man, she's been used up and put up dry all over town. That's kind of a, you know Motley Crueish kind of sound. Uh, Hollywood ending. Now I want to stop at this one, Chris. Whenever I went to see Motley Crue play the what I thought was the final tour in L.A., I'm very surprised that they didn't play this song at this show because they're in Hollywood. And this is the last Motley Crue show, at least we thought it was. <laughs> what what a great song to end to end the you know, uh, uh, you know fine play. It home would have been a Hollywood ending. Yeah, for, play for Home Sweet Home, sure. but play at least play it over the PA system as we're leaving. What I, I mean, I I think that that song would have really made the night you know pop um, more than it did, but you know right. it was still a good time uh then an, another song on there fake and it talks about you know how all the people in hollywood are fake um porno star that's the song i was kind of talking about earlier where the guy's addicted to um, online porn uh and then of course they uh, done a, a cover of white punks on dirt on dope but um but you know in in the end of the day uh, it it was still a good album, even though we didn't have the original members of Motley Crue. We did have Vince and Tommy, um, Vince and Nicky and Mick, and now we got Randy Castillo who played the drums um, on the studio album. Now, the tour starts. The tour started on June the fourteenth, two thousand, and it ran through September third, two thousand. They played one hundred and sixteen shows with three legs. Um. The name of the tour was Maximum Rock Tour. Uh, I, no surprise, Terrific Tony went to the went to one of these shows, the one in Charlotte. But um, what was neat about this? Kind of bad news, but they 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 recovered. Um, Randy Castillo, uh, I think he played like maybe two shows. Got sick. He was diagnosed with cancer uh, in May of two thousand. Um, so. That they're right. I mean, they're wide open. You know, getting ready to to start their tour, um, and they can't tour because um, you know he's sick. So Tommy's not coming back. So what does Motley Crue do? They find a replacement drummer, and they find a, a, a in my opinion, a good one, um, Samantha Maloney from Hole. Now, no one would ever even imagine Motley Crue having a girl drummer, but they did, and. I remember sitting there in Charlotte listening to him play, and I had no idea that they even changed drummers because she was like, man, she was good. Yeah, I, hey, it's something different. I mean, the band, I mean, how many women drummers were out there at that time? Yeah. Someone not, getting a shot to play with Motley Crue on a, <laughs> on a tour. Yeah. I mean, and, what a great opportunity. And I remember going to the show here in Charlotte and Vince Neil tells a funny story how, uh, you know, back then, you know, when they do do concerts, sometimes, you know, they come into a town a couple of days early, have a, have a little relaxing time. And, and of course I've, I've heard Vince say it lots of times. He loves coming to Charlotte cause he likes the Southern hospitality. Um, so he says that uh, he was in Charlotte, got in, got in Charlotte a couple of days before the show, decided to go check out a couple of, of Charlotte's finest strip clubs. And he said he's in there talking to a couple of girls, and he hears a commotion, and he turns around and looks on stage, and guess who's on stage dancing? 
Samantha Maloney. <laughs> and he said he knew then that she was going to be a perfect fit to Motley Crue because she was just as wild as they were. Uh, and uh, so I thought that was cool because he said this true story happened right here in Charlotte. So, And then later on, they, they actually done a home video DVD, and he tells the story again, and, and he mentions that she did it in Charlotte. So so really cool. Um, great tour. Uh, like I said, the, the, the tour started um, June the 24, 2000 in Sacramento, California, and uh, it ended on uh, November 19, 2000 in, in, uh, in Nagano, Japan. Um 116 shows, Chris, that summer, and I actually yeah, it was, and I actually saw him in Charlotte on July the 25th, 2000, at the old Blockbuster Pavilion, right up from Chris. Yeah, I see it right. Right up, right up. I was gonna say right up, right up, right up from from Chris's big house on the big side of town in Charlotte, North Carolina. That's right. But uh, hey, they, but man, they were at the old Walnut, they were at the old Walnut Creek Amphitheater the next night. I mean, there was one time on this show, Tony. They were playing. Let me see here. I just had it up. A moment ago. I mean, they played eight nights in a row. I mean, my God almighty. I mean, Could you like, imagine? You know? I mean, just eight nights. <laughs> That's like eight just nights like you're, just tearing wow. it up, you know, and – and uh and and chris one of the cool things about this uh about this show you know every every tour has a has a theme and their stage chris looked like the sunset strip in la they had like the, these signs that said live nudes and you know and uh tattoo parlor and so so going on to going to the show it, it made you feel like that you were in la because the, the stage looked just like you know the sunset strip uh, which was, right. which is, of course, is where Motley Crue's from. And and if any of you people out there listening have never got a chance, uh, if when Corona's finally over, if and when it's over, man, t- go to L.A., go to Hollywood, and walk up the Sunset Strip. It just, man, well, I've done it a couple times, and I get goosebumps every time I do it because I'm, I'm like, man, I'm walking the same street that Nikki and Tommy and Vince and Mick used to walk um, before they become famous. And not not just them, but, man, everybody, Poison and Guns and Roses and so all these bands that made it big, man, that's, that's how they got their start right there in uh, Hollywood, West Hollywood, um, at the uh, Whiskey A Go Go and the Troubadour and all those cool places. But, uh, but man, Chris, what a what a, what a great tour it was! It it sounds like a great tour. It was an interesting time for rock and roll, just overall, because there were some bands that were active, they weren't inactive, they were split up. Guys were a lot of guys were doing solo work around this time when it came to the to the 80s rock, glam metal scene. So, you, you know, great for Motley Crue to, to push ahead and pursue. You know, they knew what they were getting into with this album, you know, you know, down Tommy Lee. But, hey, they stuck their neck out there. They wrote some material. And, you know, it'll forever be in the vault for them, you, you know, forever. Yeah. I mean, it, it was definitely a, a good show. And, of course, a couple years later, uh, I – no surprise there again i go to this show but finally tommy lee comes back joins the motley crew we get the full uh the full band to back together uh for the red white and crew tour in 2003 so just a couple years later tommy comes back and we got the we got the band back together again they rock out for a few more years but uh um great show but next week's show fans is going to be really exciting because um uh, we'll uh, definitely be uh, we uh, won't we, we we won't be checking out any albums, uh, but we will uh, cover uh, a classic show. But we're gonna have a, a a guest on our show next week. I'm so excited, Chris. I know you're gonna be excited when I tell you this. Um, but fans, if uh, if uh, you're from the Carolinas and Virginia um, and West Virginia, then you're you're definitely gonna know who this guest is next week. I'm super excited. I'm pumped up, Chris. Next week's guest on our show is going to be none other than Drake Tungsten. Whoa, all right. I'm looking forward to this. We're going to have some fun with this one next week. Yeah, it's going to, it's going to be great. And, Chris, uh, I talked to him the other day, and he told me he's got a story for you that he wants, oh, to, he, he wants to tell you a story and 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 take you back in time and just see how much of this story he's going to tell that you remember. Um, so uh, I'm excited for that. I'm excited to to hear your reaction. Uh, but fans, I'm really excited to, to get Drake on the show. I've been trying to uh, to get him on. And uh, so finally going to nail that down. So next week, Drake Tungsten, 
uh, great guy, great brother of mine, really close to, to, to Drake. I mean, if, if there's a problem and I need some help, I, I know who to call, and, and he knows he can call me as well. I mean, he, he and I are just as close as me and Chris are. Um, to, you know, Drake's a great guy. So I'm excited to have him on the show next week. So that's going to be on next week's show, fans. Uh, Chris, you have anything else before we uh, leave the air today? Boy, I mean, I just love doing this every week with you, Tony. We have flashbacks to the uh, 80s and 90s. I, I know we talked, uh, you know, 86th Great American Bash, uh, um, 2000 with, with Motley Crue, and, and we're definitely going to go back in time next week and have another good flashback. And I think, uh, um, you know, I think my memory might get jogged a little bit as well <laughs> with this story that's going to be uh, cast upon me. But we'll have some fun with it and uh, – as always, uh, you know, looking forward, uh, looking forward to it. Just like I know you're looking forward to your trip to Las Vegas in a few weeks, and uh, um, maybe hitting a jackpot or two along the way. Man, I hope so. But either way, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have a good time, and um, hopefully not come back sunburned this time. But uh, I'm I'm excited. It's gonna be a good one. So fans, make sure you uh, are downloading our show. But most importantly, make sure you tune in next week because. Drake Tungsten is going to be here, and he's going to blow not just Chris's mind. He's going to blow the listeners' mind because Drake's got some great stories. He's he he's he he man, he's just amazing. He's a collector of a lot of uh, wrestling memorabilia as well. A uh, family man, a father, uh, a great friend, and Drake Tungsten is going to be here next week, and he's, he's going to have a lot of stories for us. So make sure you tune in next week. And for Chris, I'm Tony Binge. Saying, see you next week here on the Binge Buster Show. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you for listening to the Binge Buster Show. Make sure you like us on Facebook and download us on your favorite podcast platform.